How about 60-degree weather this afternoon? Are you looking forward to that? How many of you lost an hour's sleep and you feel it too? Praise God, huh? <laughs> How many of you were like me, um, hoping that you didn't oversleep? I get up at 4 a.m. on Sunday mornings. I've been doing it for 25 years. And so my watch this morning, uh, I sleep with a Garmin watch and it tracks my sleeping. And so I, I manually turned the clock in our front room uh, forward last night when I woke up this morning, like all night long, I'm thinking, is this right or is this right? Just, and I trusted the manual clock uh, because my iPhone didn't reset, nor did my Garmin watch reset this morning. I had to reset them. So praise God for manual battery-powered clocks. <laughs> I'm excited about the message today because we delight in a God that can do more than our clocks can <laughs> and can do more than we can plan and I will say it this way, God can, God is able. God can, God is able. And I firmly believe that our view of God is often too small. And when we face anything, our perception of God will directly impact the way we respond to it. You could read a million books, and I mean that sincerely, on God, and still not be able to fully understand or describe or help someone else understand or describe how big our God is. And the moment you think you have fully understand him is the moment you have reduced your God to the size of your finite brain. It is impossible. Seriously, hear me out. I'm with you. I want to understand God, and I I learn, and I, I grow so I can share. But the reality is, if I ever get a point where I feel good about really understanding God, that's a very arrogant position to place myself in. Because my finite brain can never describe a God who's indescribable and who is always able to blow my mind. We find ourselves this week in a passage of scripture where God does something that is literally mind-blowing. And my hope is when we see this, we can take our situation, we can jump into the pages of scripture and say, if he did that, then he can do this for me. Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 12. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But we do delight in a God that can do more. Acts chapter 12. And I'd like for us to read the first 15 verses. And if you would please stand with me, we'll read it together. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 15. Let's read it out loud as you stand. Acts 12, verses 1 to 15. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentry guards stood at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. You may have a seat. As we look at this account, we can see that there was a church that was praying. There was Peter who was in prison. There was a disciple of Jesus who had just been killed, most likely beheaded. And now Peter is next, for lack of better words, on the chopping block to lose his head too. Herod seems to be in full control of what's taking place. But there's a church that was earnestly praying. Let me just begin with this this thought. We should pray beyond what we believe. And what I mean by that is this. We should be able to say, God, I don't know how this could ever work out. God, I don't see the way out of this. Lord, I don't even know where I would begin to postulate a plan. But I'm going to pray that somehow you'll do something that I can't see or maybe even believe. Elaborate for a moment on this. God is able to do what seems impossible to man. God has ability to do things that we could never even drum up in our minds. So can he do more than we imagine? Can he? What would you say? Yes. Do prayers make a difference? What do you think? Yes. Do we limit what God wanted to do by the way we pray? I would say yes to that. Does doubt impact our prayers? James says it does. If we don't start with a posture of trust in Scripture we will find ourselves quietly molding the prevailing, with the prevailing winds of culture. Here's what I mean by that. If you don't go to the Bible and say, what does God's word say in regards to God's power, God's ability, and not what culture says. Culture sometimes will say, well, well he's not that kind of God today. He's a different God. And culture will say, by the way, that the Bible isn't fully inspired. So there's portions of it. And the culture would say there's many ways to God. So pick and find your way and use your God. All gods are the same. And so if we let culture's impact on us prevail against our thinking and what God's word, we will soon not believe that our God can do what he says he can do. In the Bible, we encounter a God who is big, bigger than words. A word we can't even define in the dictionary. There's really not a word that describes who our God is. Only of God such incomparable magnitude could account for the universe. Now let me just pull away and I want you to think on this statement for a second. Way too many of us want a God who is the missing piece in our lives or future rather than the sustainer and source of all that exists. See, here's what I mean by that. God, I'm missing out on this, and God, I, I, I need a, 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 a spouse, and, and God, I need help, and God, I need health, and God, 
I need business, and God, I need. And so we pray, God, can you fill in this missing piece? And so we, we look at God like, well, he can do that, and he fills in the missing piece. And so we treat him like he's a puzzle. This is a part of my life that's broken. This is a part that's missing. So God, fill in that piece. And so we just see him as a God who fills in pieces instead of a God that's way beyond that. The tragedy is this. That a small and manageable God, while easier to control and understand, is completely unable to help us in areas we need the most. This quote was spoken hundreds of years ago, and it's so applicable to today. A God that is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. Now I want you to think about that and process that for a second. If you can fully describe your God, if you can say, well, I, I, I've taken this class and I've read these 50 books and, 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 and I know exactly who God is. And if you can describe your God and you can completely understand your God, then what you're saying is your finite brain has the capability of understanding an infinite mind. There is no way. And the moment you begin to do that, all you've done, all you've done is you just have a deified projection of yourself. You just got a better version of you. And you're saying, well, here's what, the, the, here's what I would look like if everything was working the way it was intended to work. Here's what I would be like if I was perfect in every way. Hear me out. Even if we were perfect in every way, we fall way, 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 way short of our God. And so what happens is you just develop a deified projection of yourself if you can describe and worship that God. And so what do we do? We end up drawing up these images and, and we, we deify crosses that we wear around our necks. And, and so we, what we've done, if we're not careful, we just dress Jesus down and say, that's Jesus and I'm going to worship Jesus and this is the Jesus that I know. When in reality, we don't really and completely fully understand God. It's impossible to. We just have, have this projection of a deified person that's better than man or the best version of man. God is so beyond what our minds can ever, ever, ever project to be. Think about this for a second. If you do that then, all you're doing is worshiping on Sunday mornings. Part of the problem in worship is this. We've lost our awe and wonder of God because we just deified a better version of ourselves. And he's just filling in the blank. God is so beyond that. There's no book. You could read a million books. You could be the best apologist and defend your faith in the world, but it would fall short of truly understanding God. Pause and consider these facts for a second. This is just one, one small piece about our God. This is just, I mean, it's so small that it, 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 it barely, barely even gets on the chart of describing who God is. Astronomers tell us this, that there are at least three, here's a word, maybe you've never heard this word, and I had to look it up, by the way, and find out how many zeros there was. There are three septillion stars, three septillion stars. That's a three with, okay, here, here's, what, here's how many stars, astronomers, by the way, they don't know how many they are because the telescopes aren't big enough to really go out far enough to tell us, but three septillion stars is three with 24 zeros. You got to help me out here. There's, 
This is how many stars there are. Just wrap your mind around this for a second. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Well, back off one. And there's probably more. This is what they said. That's how many stars scientists tell us there are. By the way, this is just one, one thing that God created. And each of these three septillion, each, each one of these three septillion stars, think about this, the, puts out roughly the same amount of energy as a trillion atom bombs every second. So, okay, think about it. What's a trillion? A trillion is one with 12 zeros. Right now, I am so confused right now trying to figure this out. And some of you say, oh, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah, right. Every single septillion star, every single one of them, just, just one of the septillion has the same energy as one trillion, not just one atom bomb, one trillion atom bombs that's released every second. And our God created them by saying, star. <laughs> that's our God. And, you know, so my mind says, what does an atom bomb look like? Well, here's what it looks like. Just, just think about this. Here, take a look. This is a video of an atom bomb going off. be a bonfire, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's good. So our God that we pray to and that you worship to this morning, is, is that the God you worship this morning? Or was he a deified projection of yourself that's perfect in every way? He's, he's, our God is. Let me, let me give you a word that gets underused and misappropriated. Awesome. And really, awesome should only go to our God. <laughs> our God created, scientists, there's way more, three septillion stars. And every one of those septillion stars has the same energy as one trillion of those atom bombs released every second. That's our God. That's who spoke existence into being. Can we just begin there when we process that's who this church was praying to. That's who you and I pray to. You see, we will never fully figure God out and fully understand the whys in our lives because his ways, his wisdom, his knowledge, and his abilities are far beyond our finite understanding. But hear me out. You can trust him. Let me just say this again. Isn't it rather arrogant to assume that with our limited knowledge, we would be able to perceive every purpose of an infinitely wise God? So here you have it. This is life or death for Peter. He's about to lose his life. Herod is large and in charge. He's on death row, and the president's not going to pardon him. 
James died to a sword, most likely beheaded, and the crowd enjoyed it. In fact, the Jews were celebrating and dancing that, that a Christian was killed. And now think a minute about through the scenario, for any egotistical person that, that this is like adding fuel to the fire for Herod. So he says, as he grabs Peter, I'll see you in the morning because this is what he intended to do. Look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. I love that phrase because it reminds me of a verse that I've read hundreds of times in Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 20, 21 says, Many are the plans in the man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I wonder how many things that are intended for us by the enemy will be thwarted if we just pray. How many of your needs will be thwarted by someone doing something if we just pray? How many of you need some intentions of others concerning your future, your marriage, your children, your pending case to be reversed? And we're seeing in this text, and we're going to see that it does get thwarted because there was a church that believed in their God who could do that, and far more than that. Herod begins and appears to be large and in charge. It's a pretty hopeless situation to man, if you ask me. Because the ruling on the field has been given. Herod says, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to bring you out for trial. And it was his full intention to kill him and to execute him. Because it brought people to liking Herod more than what he was already liked by them. But sometimes we have to refuse to believe the ruling on the field and pray like we believe it can be reversed. So Peter's death warrant is written. And it's just a matter of procedure before he dies. Hit the pause second for a second and think about this. While all of this is going on, sometimes we lose sight of it. This wasn't the only Christian that was alive. Like we didn't just open up the book of Acts and say, well, this is the only story that God had to deal with. There were other followers of the way, the Bible called them people of the way, who most likely had other situations just like, like think about, you have a situation that you brought in here today or you had this week that you prayed to God and it just so happened that God articulated this is what was going on in Peter's life, but there were thousands and millions of others' decisions that are happening for us all through our week and God is able to take all of our situations, not just one, and act in a perfect way and he can hear all of our prayers, he can respond to all our prayers, and he can do and act in a perfect way to every single request that comes his way every second of every day. And too often, we want to make our situation the only thing that matters. But God can handle all of that. Like, if he can do this, then... He can take all our requests and he hears you. Like you're sitting here today, you might think, does God see me? <laughs> yes, he does. He knows exactly what you're thinking right now. He watched you in worship. He knew whether you thought he was an awesome God or you just stood there like, yeah, he's just a deified version of man. Why would I worship a man? And so he knows all. There was a movie that came out years ago and they tried their best in parts of this movie, Bruce Almighty, to picture God and what he handles and there's a scene in this movie where Jim Carrey takes on the role of God 
to answering prayers. And so the scene in this movie, Jim jumps in and he begins to say, how will I handle all these prayer requests? And it reminds me of what God deals with every second of our lives. Watch this. Well, you took the job, Bruce, so I suggest you get to it. Prayers, prayers, okay, prayers. Uh, this creepy whisper thing has to end. Organization and management. That's what I need. I need a system, something concrete. Concentrate. Files. Let all prayers be organized into files. Well, that takes care of the voices. Not exactly a space saver, though. Grace might notice. I know. Prayer post-its! Okay, I need something with a lock. Security, combination, password. prayers. Welcome to the Revelation Superhighway. We bless, no mess. Downloading now. It's <laughs> good. It's good. This is gonna take a while. Oh. One million five hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred and three prayer requests. I better manifest some coffee. Hola! Juan Valdez! Buenos días. Buenos días. Disfruto un buen café. Gracias, señor. Adiós. Adiós! Ah, now that's fresh mountain-grown coffee from the hills of Colombia. It's a funny take on that, but the reality is this. That's not a problem in the world for our God. And even right now, I want you to do something. Just in this room in the South Auditorium, I want you to think about something that you want to pray to God about. So think about what is it that you want to offer to a God who did, can do that and can handle all your prayers. Just, just go ahead and you, just pray that request to God. Just take... 10 seconds to pray that request. In Jesus' name, amen. Our God, 
heard every single prayer that was just offered. Word for word. Statement for statement. Sentence by sentence. And he will act perfectly on it. And while you were praying here, people on the other side of the world are praying too. You see, my mind cannot conceive how that is possible. And you know what? It's okay because finite cannot understand infinite. But when this church prayed, they knew that their God was big and was able to handle that. Often what gets lost in this whole process as we walk through this journey with God when we suffer is this. We forget that suffering is often a setup for God's glory and power to be revealed. Watch what happens to Peter. Look look at verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. That's suffering. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What does the word earnestly? Would you actually say, yeah, I'm an earnest prayer James says it this way, the fervent or effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. What does it mean to have fervent prayer? What's it mean to have this sense of earnestly praying? What does that look like? The word earnest means with intensity. It means to become hot. It means to have this ardent desire. It means burning in your heart, this enthusiastic response. It's this church was earnestly praying. They were begging God, God, please bring safety to Peter. God, please be with him. And there's this sense where they were, at the end of their prayers, they were worn out because they gave everything they had to see Peter Be comforted in prison. Let me just ask a really, really honest question. When is the last time you ever prayed like that? Can you even think of a time? Earnest means continually coming back, just begging, imploring, and asking, and and agreeing, and confessing to God. One of the things that we've tried as a leadership team is to make grace a praying church. Here's what we'll often say. Here's what people say. Well, it's the, it's the least thing I can do for you is to pray. Are you kidding me? The least thing you can do is to pray? You see, it's not the least thing. It's the, the most powerful thing we can do. Why? Because we're handing it off from us trying to work it out to a God that can do that. And so instead of saying it's the least thing, it is the best thing that we can do. Because we've handed it from our hands into a God that we can't even understand. And this church is getting it. They're earnestly praying and begging and saying, God, God, we're handing it off to you. And even though Herod has, is intended to take his life, God, you are bigger than Herod. You created him. You spoke people into existence. You can do far more. And we believe. You see, when we see the beauty of Jesus close up, you stop asking the why and start trusting the who. Honestly, I think we've lost our all and understanding of God. God is not just a smarter version of you. <laughs> Listen, there are some smart people in our world, but God is not just perfect IQ. He's not just a smarter version of human beings. God is far beyond that. So what's Peter doing during this time? Just look, here's a man 
that knows his God too. Look at verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was what? What's it say? Sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries, stood at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. Peter was so sound asleep that a spotlight of an angel came into the cell and he didn't wake up that the angel literally had to slap him on the face and said, dude, get up. How can a man sleep knowing the next day his head is going to get lopped off? Because he fully trusted in his God. And there was a church that was earnestly praying for him. Please, God, give him peace. God, let him know that you are with him. And when we know God is with us, nothing will rattle us. The night before his execution, he's not pacing the cell. He's not posting on Facebook how hard his situation is and how much worry and anxiety that he has. He was sound asleep between two guards knowing that no matter what comes my way, I know it's best. Why? Because my God rules the world. Paul had a conversation with young Timothy. Trying, Timothy was an aspiring, wanted to be a pastor. And so Paul spoke these words to young Timothy who felt this calling on his life to be a pastor. And he said this, listen to this, in 2 Timothy 2.13, he says, If we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You see, God is never unfaithful. He never forgets. He never fails to follow through. He is never late. He never lacks. He never hesitates. He never acts imperfectly. We have no reason to fear, and Peter is sleeping because he knew that his God is faithful. You see, God's love for us is not based on our goodness to him, but on his consistent goodness and love for us. Aren't you glad? You see, we cannot do anything good or anything more or anything less that causes God to love us more or less. The Aramaic word here for prayer, when the church was praying, means to set a trap. I love that visual. It means you're setting a trap to catch what's trying to get you. This church was praying, and they they loved Peter, and they were setting a trap to stop the plan of Herod. I'm not sure where it all began, but we must remember that, that there are no deadlines to our prayers. Some of us think that there are, like this prayer offer, and I got it, 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 it's over. There is never an expiration date to your prayers. The Bible refers to prayers as being collected in bowls in heaven. I want you to turn to Revelation 5, because I feel like I need to remind us of this truth. Turn to Revelation chapter 5, and hopefully you have your Bible with you today. And you're underlining and marking it. But turn to Revelation chapter 5. And look at verse 8. John's given this picture of heaven. And it's like he's saying this about our prayers. God gives him a sneak peek into heaven in in this vision on the island of Patmos. And he says in chapter 5 verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden what? What's this thing? bowls full of incense which are the what of God's people the prayers of God's people so John saw this visual in heaven 
before the altar are these golden bowls that you have offered for your husbands and for your wives and kids and, and for your own self and friends and, and situations. And there's this picture of these bowls and they're just piled up with prayers that you've prayed and God collects them. It's like an incense to them. They don't disappear. You just keep adding on to them. They don't have expiration dates. Like, well, I prayed that three years ago, so man, uh, God probably doesn't remember. No, God remembers everything and he stores them He collects them. And then John said this in Revelation chapter 8. He's still talking about these prayers. Turn over to Revelation chapter 8. Look at verse 3. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3 says this. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the what of God's people? The prayers of God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne. So literally, there's these bowls. And now this angel is there. He takes the prayers of God's people that are being offered by us. Watch what happens here. It says the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. He literally says, God, he hands them off. And then it says this. The angel took the censer, filled it with what? What's it say? Fire from the altar and what it to earth? Hurled it to earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I know the bowls in heaven are going to be a lot better than this, but here's the picture. There are these people, situations, places, things that we pray for. And the picture is this in heaven. There are bowls filled with incense golden bowls, that when you pray, and so I was thinking about this, Anne, Josh, Hannah, Isaiah, Johnny, Grace Community Church, and other things, my family, that I go to prayer for. And there's this picture that every time I pray and you pray, we just keep piling them into these bowls. And they're filled with incense, and we just keep praying, praying and praying and praying And they don't expire, they're collected. There's this picture that the things that you're praying for, they're collected in heaven. And then in Revelation chapter 8, it says, finally, the angel grabs them, that situation. There's this moment, literally, like when they tip, that that prayer that you pray kind of tips the scales of of this bowl. And it says, the angel takes it filled with fire. I better not throw this one because that end might not like it. But, and what's he do? He hurls it from heaven. The answer is on its way. There's this moment that the prayer that you pray right now, that you've been praying for a long time, listen, it hasn't been wasted, it's collected, could be the very one that tips the scales from heaven. The answer could be on the way. That's the picture. So when you go before God in an earnest way, it says this could be the one that releases. The church was praying for Peter that releases him. And the angel filled with fire hurls it to the earth and says, done. Like, I like visuals. So sometimes I pray like, this could be it. God, make this the prayer that brings the breakthrough for that situation and you know what happens when you begin to think about that you pray with a sense of anticipation that this could be the moment 
that prayer that you're offering right now could be the one that brings the breakthrough. You see, each prayer is like a seed that gets planted in the ground. It disappears for a season, but eventually bears fruit that blesses future generations. In fact, our prayers bear fruit forever. He paints a picture of how impossible this escape was to. Peter was sleeping between two guards, chained. There were guards at the door. Bubba and Bruiser were standing there. There was no way he was going to get out. But I want to say, the ruling on the field is being sent to the man in the booth upstairs. and His name is God. And we often hear... The ruling on the field has been overturned. Why? Because the church was praying. I'm a football fan, and many of you are too, and you've seen it happen. It's worth giving you another visual to remember this again. But a coach carries one of these with him on the sidelines. Sometimes he stuffs it in his sock. Sometimes he has it. And if he sees a play on the field that he thinks should be reversed, what's he do? He pulls this out, and he throws it on the field. And the referee comes over and says, all right, we need to take the ruling that's on the field, where? To the man in the booth up above that will revisit and look at it. And so the man in the booth, wherever he is, New York, or maybe he's in Goshen, I don't know, wherever he's at, he has an opportunity to review it, and he can reverse the call on the field. You see, when things come our way, and we're not in a place where we believe that we can do anything else because it's so hard and so difficult, we can throw the red flag of prayer. And it goes to God in heaven, and he can reverse the call on the field. The church was praying. And the call on the field said, death, you're dying tomorrow, Pete, just like your brother. Yet the church was praying earnestly and they took it to God and he reverses the call on the field. Watch what happens. Watch, watch what unpacks now once they begin pray. It says this in verse 10. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by what? Itself. Verse, look at me, verse 10. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly an angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary because he wanted to tell his his own people who trusted and his family and friends who trusted in Jesus and were praying that, Hey, I'm okay. So he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were what? What what was the church doing? Praying. Verse 13, come on, follow along. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named whom answered the door? Rhoda, it's not wiki either. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, so she recognized his voice. Like I recognize voices and many of you do too. She didn't even see him. She just heard him knocking and he's out there talking. Hey, Pete, I'm here. And she recognized his voice. She was so over what? What's it say? 
overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Pete's at the door, Pete's at the door. Meanwhile, wait, where's Peter? Like, let me in. Watch what happens. So she tells them that Peter's at the door and they say, you're out of your mind, woman. They told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking while they're having this conversation. She's trying to convince them. He's like, get me inside. Herod's going to come after me. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were what? Come on, help me out of here. What's it say? They were what? Come on, look at your Bible. Don't look at me. What's it say? They were what? Astonished. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you were astonished? Is it because you're not praying prayers that would leave you astonished when God comes through? Do you just have like a deified, better version of yourself for God? Is everything you're doing manufactured and coming to be because you have figured it out on your own? Like if I buy this and I save here and I do this and I, and I knock seven times there and, 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 and if I advertise there. You see, here's what I know to be true. If everything you're doing you can figure out on your own, then you've left God out. <laughs> There's got to be a God piece where at some point I say it, Grace, the, the, the guys will hear me say this often. I even said again this week in our elder meeting. There's got to be a place as we dream for the future of grace that we would look really stupid unless God comes through. Because if we can figure it all out by doing it ourselves, then we've left God out. And sometimes that's what we do as human beings. It says, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. You see, most God-ordained dreams die because we are not willing to do something that seems illogical. Watch what happens next. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. There was an earthquake for crying out loud. He's gone. After Peter had a... After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be what? (laughs) I'm sorry, I just find this hilarious. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Verse 20. He had been quarreling, it says, with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, What a great name, by the way. A trusted personal servant of the king. They ask for peace. They're saying, Herod, we want peace. Because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Just picture him. He's feeling good about himself. Even though this has just taken place with Peter, he's sitting on his throne, he's got his robes on, they're fanning him. He's feeling large and in charge. But look what happens next. 21, it says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on the throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a what? Not of a what? You see, they elevated Herod. To God's status, by the way. Don't you dare ever do that. Watch what happens. It says, how quickly was it? What's the next word in verse 23? 
How quickly? What's the word? Immediately. Because Herod did not give what to God? An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and what? (laughs) I'm sorry, man. It's like, don't mess with God. Then it says in verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and what? Flourish. You see, I still believe that persecution brings revival (laughs) because we trust in our God. I still believe the word has not outdated itself. I still believe it's 100% accurate and is our guide for today. I still believe that if God says it can happen, then why can't it happen for us? And while everything else morphs and changes and dies and fails and frustrates and moves and leaves and disappoints and shifts and gives up and falls short and flees, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right now, where is God doing more than our little finite minds can conceive? You see, this is what happened Because someone believed, a group of people believed that their God was able to do far more than they were asking or imagining. And this was truth for them that God wasn't done yet. And this coming year as we sat and we dream about the future, we believe the same for Grace Community. We believe the God that breathe stars into existence, three septillion of them, and they're able to to have atomic bomb kind of power. He's the same God that you and I can talk to and ask and go to, and he can blow our minds. I want you to grab the goals that were placed in your bulletin as you came in this morning, and this is what we're dreaming for the coming year at Grace Community. This is what we're asking and begging and imploring and earnestly praying that God would do this. The same God that did this for Peter because the church was praying can do it for us because we're the church that's praying. Would you stand with me as I read these goals and keep Jesus number one. Secondly, stand please. Make Grace Community a life-saving station where a thousand people run to Jesus and trust Him as their personal Savior lose sleep over the 200,000 unchurched people and personally see every attendee bring 10 people to church this year. See every Christ follower at Grace Community, every Christ follower take the next step of obedience and get baptized. Renew the hunger and joy and delight for prayer encounter in such a way that the walls can't contain us. Plan an exciting father-son hike exploration where we meet God in his awesome creation. Create an exciting mother-son outing where children bond deeper with their precious moms. Ignite the childlike faith in our hearts so that we follow Jesus with reckless abandon. Continue to build fearless, faithful, and fun men and women with our discipleship journeys. Launch a second campus church on the south side of Elkhart where children, youth, and adults fall in love with Jesus. Witness an unbelievable explosion of junior high and senior high students running after Jesus and joining our Axis Youth Ministry. Elevate awareness of Fight Club at a national level so that men everywhere lead, love, 
and fight for their brothers, sons, daughters, and wives and homes. Assist 10 more hungry Jesus followers to join our Deploy Master's Level Theological Training Program. Develop and train and send out five future pastors with the tools necessary to serve in ministry. Launch 25 more dynamic Jesus-loving small groups. Purchase a bus to assist our elderly with transportation to our worship services. Honor and elevate our senior saints and launch a fresh like giving seniors ministry. Send out five missionaries to reach our lost world. Build fresh and new community amongst our attendees where we know each other's names and pray for each other regularly. Move 500 people from their seats to serving so that the church is explosively advancing the kingdom of God. Create an obstacle course at the Lodge that bridges men and women together to Jesus. Host a disc golf tournament at the Lodge for relational building with the community. Prepare our hearts with a fresh hunger for Maranatha, the Lord's return, so that we dangerously live on mission to reach our lost world. Witness a fresh love awakening and marriages for Jesus and each other. Be known as a church that is generous in their support, prayer, and giving to other churches. Become a place where every home bursts forth with generosity. Where when the buckets are passed for offering and every attendee tithes. Elevate awareness of our missionaries so that their arms can be held up as they minister in our world. Empower our women in fresh ways to flourish in their identities with Jesus. Build upon the fruits of dudes and doctrines so that others grow in their understanding of our great God. Elevate an awareness and gain greater foot traffic at the lodge so that people renew the wonder in all of God. Leverage open gym, the workout areas, and the park to foster interpersonal conversation with locals to bridge the gospel into their lives. Foster a fresh hunger for God's word where every attendee reads and memorizes it daily so that we don't sin against him. Become the fittest church on planet earth so we never render ourselves ineffective to be used by God. Burn the mortgage and implement greater, larger, more impactful ways to take the gospel to the nation. See an uprising of energetic, spirit-filled volunteers to come alongside our preschool and sixth grade students. Elevate our use of trending media to make it as easy as possible for people to know our Savior. Develop a hunger to reach our community and in turn see a fresh movement in our outreach blitzes. Launch a car care ministry at the Lodge with men who can assist and work on single parent and widow's vehicles. Hire the brightest, godliest, and fittest, best chemistry teammates to help reach deeper in the 200,000 of unchurched people in Elkhart County. Schedule and plan four worship experiences outside of our regular Sunday morning time so that Jesus gets greater glory. Plan a church-wide day of fasting and prayer where we beg God to do the unthinkable in our midst. Witness with our own eyes 10 unexpected miracles of God. Challenge and see every Grace member be a passport-carrying follower of Jesus so that they can go when the Spirit prompts them to go. Elevate God over everything and be quick to recognize Him as the cause behind every good thing that happens at Grace Community. Delight more in the Lord, laugh more, believe more, doubt less, celebrate more, and live like we believe Jesus is coming again today. Amen.